Hello, everybody. This is Volts for December 9th, 2022. The state of the lithium-ion battery recycling market. I'm your host, David Roberts. The coming decade is going to see a rapid rise in demand for electric vehicles and the batteries they contain. Currently, the materials that compose those batteries are mined and processed in countries with problematic environmental and labor standards. One part of crafting a more humane and secure battery supply chain is working to reduce demand for virgin materials by recycling the materials already in use. That means recycling the lithium-ion batteries found in vehicles. Lots of them. Since we are on the very front end of a rapid S-curve rise in demand for EVs, a comparatively small number of such lithium-ion batteries need recycling today. But that will change soon as early EVs tax their original batteries. To get a grasp on the current state of play in the battery recycling market, I contacted Yayoi Sakine, an analyst who works as head of energy storage at Bloomberg NEF. We talked about current demand for battery recycling, the companies meeting that demand, the technologies used to recycle batteries today, and the coming growth in the industry. All right, then, uh, with no further ado, Yayoi Sakine, uh, welcome to Volts. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me on the show. And I'll try to get you out of here in time to see your World Cup game. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to talk all about battery recycling here today. I have so many questions about this, uh, but let's just start at the beginning and get a sense of sort of the context and why we need to be talking about this. So I think, you know, Volts listeners know that EVs are coming on strong. They're about to head up the, the steep part of the S-curve. But there's a little bit of a delay. Like when you talk about recycling solar panels, you know, solar panels last 20 to 40 years. So it's not when they start uh, selling big that you have your problem. It's a little bit of a delay. Mm -hmm. So I guess what I'm wondering is where are we on that S curve and when are we going to get hit with a wave of batteries as opposed to the sort of relative trickle we have now? <laughs> trickle is a, is an interesting word for an industry, but that's probably <laughs> true because I absolutely agree with that sense of there is a delay um, and the delay happens in different ways. One is certainly, as you say, what is the scale of battery growth that we're experiencing mm. today? At BNEF, we've been tracking the, the EV markets and the stationary storage markets for quite a few years. And just to give you a sense of the growth that we're talking about when we're talking about that S-curve, we are talking about, about a little over 600 gigawatt hours of battery demand for 2022 alone. So that's both for EVs, so all across all passenger EVs and other EV applications, as well as stationary storage. And that's about double what we saw in terms of battery demand last year. Mm. Yeah, so that's incredible rate of growth. Obviously, the S-curve means, you know, each year we don't double every single year. But by 2030, we're talking of about five times what we're expecting in 2022 in terms of battery deployments. So that's a lot of cumulative just batteries that are going to be on the roads, on the grids, and a lot of materials that are related to that. 
Um, and this is just talking about this year and last year alone. And of course, there's a history, of course, smaller history in terms of demand of batteries in electric vehicle and stationary storage applications, some, um, a few of which are starting to roll off their end of life. Um, so coming into recycling facilities today, a lot of that capacity and processing power is, is in China today. Um, mm-hmm. But generally, we're starting to see that scale up. And just in terms of like what it is in terms of tonnage of materials, but in 2030, that's about 18 million metric tons of materials. Um, no, so, good grief. Yeah, exactly. That's a lot of stuff that needs to get, get done and refined and processed into materials that goes into batteries. So lithium-ion batteries last, uh, I mean, do we have a sort of a hard estimate of how long they last in, in EVs before they need to be recycled? That's ultimately the question about when will recycling matter or when do we need it by? Um, The answer is that it really, like, there isn't one specific number because, of course, for different chemistries and different applications, Mm -hmm. you end up having different lifetimes. Um, In the past, when we were doing this analysis, we kind of had an estimate in place, which I would already argue, you know, it's, it's outdated because we're already getting new information about batteries lasting longer than we originally expected. So we're talking about, you know, 10, 11, 12 years from, for some EV applications and potentially they'll last longer. For grid applications, stationary storage, we, we, we do see projects being kind of like um, envisioning themselves being online for 15, sometimes 20 years. A lot of the new battery technologies or the LFP that's coming into the stationary storage systems today or even um, a lot of passenger EVs have longer cycle life. Um, mm-hmm. So the expectation is that they might actually last longer, which actually goes to your point about volumes and timing. When does that matter? Um, probably soon for a, for a <laughs> lot of capacity, but you know that capacity just starts ramping up more and more as the years go by for that reason. Right, yeah. Gonna, a, a wave is going to hit and it's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger forever. So maybe wave isn't the right metaphor. So what... About now, the, the lithium-ion batteries, um, I, I can't imagine there are a ton of EV batteries specifically just coming into circulation for recycling since they're just, you know, the EV market itself is not huge. But are current batteries being recycled? Like what's happening to the current lithium-ion batteries when they uh, reach their end of life? There are many batteries that are being recycled, the ones that are mm-hmm. coming out vehicles, the stuff that's essentially recalled, um, they have to go somewhere, they get stored, and then we basically broken down and then recycled, taken to a recycling facility. Generally, it, like the scale of the operations really depends on the geography because, as you mentioned, the EV industry in the U.S. or in terms of battery demand or EV demand is not as big as what we see, for example, in China. Mm-hmm. Um, so China actually has the majority of the recycling capacity in the world. Um, our numbers estimate that to be about 80%, um, if not more. Some facilities were commissioned this year. And there, actually, we see a lot of like um, a lot of batteries that are rolling off EVs already. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, in terms of facilities, they are being recycled, and there is a whole process around that. In the U.S. and Europe, um, the capacities are typically still ramping up. I think we're actually in a crux in terms of the industry of where it's going to shift from primarily trying to find sources of batteries that are rolling off end of life, be that from the <laughs> consumer electronics industry, towards what will be a higher volume in, in the long term, which would be passenger EVs, mainly passenger EVs, but from, from other EVs as well. 
Is it safe to say, though, that most lithium-ion batteries that are now reaching their end of life, car batteries, are getting recycled? Or is there a big, like, waste problem? Are, are some of them getting thrown away or, or landfilled or whatever? Or are most of them in a pipeline now where they're going to recycling? Yeah, so in the U.S., um, there's a lot of partnerships, actually, that have emerged over the last couple of years. Um, just to, like, just for some context, like Redwood Materials, Ascend Elements, mm-hmm. Lifecycle, these are some companies that are directly involved either with battery manufacturers or the automakers themselves to basically form uh, a collection and shredding and some recycling um, value chain in the U.S. And a lot of them have pilot facilities or have just kind of are ramping up their um, their facility to um, scale up some operation at the back of the little volumes of EV batteries that there is today. But actually, historically, the volumes were so low that a lot of the companies are trying to look for other sources of batteries, mainly consumer electronics, right? So it's an interesting phase in the industry today, slightly different in China. China has had more regulation and more structure around the recycling market, I guess, for the, actually for the last four years. Um, so we see a bit more kind of like a, an infrastructure around collection, mm-hmm. transportation, and then, of course, the whole recycling process itself. Um, so it's slightly different there. Let's talk about that then. Uh, when we talk about lithium-ion batteries being recycled today, hmm. what are we talking about? What, is, <laughs> what, what happens? Like, Give me a sense of like when the battery enters the door of the facility what do we mean when we say we're recycling that battery? What happens to it? Yeah, there's actually quite a, a long value chain. So mm-hmm. in as much as there's a long value chain to actually manufacture a battery, there's kind of the opposite direction when you're trying mm-hmm. to recycle it. And it all it starts like, you know, when the vehicle is at the end of its life, you're either taking it to um, the automaker or figuring out kind of what, what to do with that. Um, essentially, there is a cost associated um, somewhere. Someone is paying a cost associated with actually taking that EV and then getting out, out the battery and then transporting it to a location where they're probably going to do um, some preliminary part of the um, the recycling process, which is essentially unpackaging um, the stuff around the actual battery cells and module and kind of taking that out. And then you're essentially trying to shred everything that's in the kind of the batteries so that it's, you know, in a smaller particle size that can be digestible in some way. Mm-hmm. Typically in that process, they remove like copper and aluminum foils, which are more easily recyclable and can be taken out through that process. Um, and then whatever is left, um, which typically is called like black mass, that is what is actually like high value um, minerals and elements and metals that then gets processed through additional processes, um, which you can talk about. And that's essentially what they're trying to do, which is like getting some black mass and transforming that into, again, the, the elements that will then be reused, hopefully, in the battery value chain or potentially used in other value streams like downcycled. This is what I'm mostly interested in is this black mass. <laughs> it doesn't uh, – I can envision physically, you know, disassembling the battery and taking off all the stuff. But then you end up with this, you know, slurry, I guess, this this goop. And, and so how do you take a goop and decompose it into its mineral constituents? How do you, how do you get a particular mineral out of goop? What is the physical process <laughs> that goes on so, right now? Um. <laughs> I'm loving the use of the word goop. Yeah. Um, the bad you add goop. Um, so, <laughs> so that goop, which is very valuable, 
There's really two main pathways to really extract the value from that group. And essentially, different companies might follow slightly different pathways, but the general chemistry of it is is fairly similar, or the general chemistry of the physical process is fairly similar. So one of the ways is through a hydrometallurgy process, hydro because there's a water-based element to it, and essentially Mm -hmm. you're using chemicals to extract whatever is most valuable in that process. And you're adding acids and bases. It's kind of like a chemical experiment to maintain a certain level of acidity so that you can extract kind of the leach solutions, which can then get the valuable materials out of that process. That's like a bath. You put the <laughs> you put the goop in this in this solution and it and it pulls out, it decomposes particular yeah, minerals. Exactly. And then you can kind of sieve out um, mm. the different materials depending on kind of what you're throwing into that bath. The other kind is kind of an extension of that, which is just kind of adding something prior to doing that chemical process, which is a pyro hydro. <laughs> so pyrometallurgy and hydrometallurgy, the pyro part is is essentially a heating process, like fire, you associate that with um, burning. Um, it's essentially the use of high temperatures to extract the metals. Um, and typically that would be done before the hydro process in these types of two-way or two-step process. In that process, you're burning out like electrolytes, uh, the electrolyte, the binder, the additives um, mm. to kind of make the second process a bit more efficient. Ah, so the goop gets superheated and then it takes a bath. <laughs> and then it's like a sauna experience. You <laughs> yeah, go to the sauna exactly. and then you go <laughs> relax. Sounds kind of nice. Yeah. So in this process, um, I mean, one of the big things here in terms of economics that I want to talk about is, so right now, when you're recycling a battery, what minerals are you going after? What are the, what are the valuable constituents currently? Yeah, so historically, what was primarily sought after for them from that group was essentially nickel and cobalt, mm-hmm. which are the high-value metals. Um, that is for batteries that contain nickel and cobalt. Um, lithium iron phosphate batteries don't don't contain nickel or cobalt. Now, I guess there's just not just because lithium prices are six, five to six times higher mm-hmm. than than a year ago, but there's also very much an interest in increasing the recovery rates of lithium as well. So there's there's essentially those three major ones. Um, of course, you can remove manganese as well, but I would say the higher value ones would be nickel, cobalt, and increasingly lithium. Hmm. You know, there's a sort of movement on to reduce the amount of cobalt in batteries. Of course, you know, I'm. I don't know if we've said this yet. Uh, I, mean, I think most Volt uh, <laughs> listeners know, but LFP batteries that we keep referring to, lithium iron phosphate uses uh is it iron uses iron Mm -hmm. rather than cobalt or nickel and those batteries lfp batteries are uh as i understand it sort of uh growing quickly especially in china they're getting used in lots of teslas in china and and i think they're sort of like spreading here too is it worth it to recycle an lfp battery like is there enough valuable material in an LFP battery to make the recycling process pay? It's a good question. We've done some analysis and 
essentially what you what you want to look at is of course the cost of what the process is mm-hmm. um, and in that stack of the cost there's obviously capex and then the operational expenses and then in the operational expenses besides equipment that you have to pay for um, is essentially what are you paying for energy input costs as well as right. i guess the chemicals that you're using for it when you're recycling LFP, it's a slightly different composition of chemicals that you're you're using to extract chemicals. And actually, when you're doing the pyro process, um, you're kind of extracting more from that as well. So essentially, the cost itself of um, recycling LFP is lower if you look at markets like China than it would be for, say, the NMC chemistries that have nickel and manganese and cobalt. The reality is that um, it's still kind of barely breaking even when you make assumptions <laughs> about um, essentially like uh, logistics. So getting, you know, the materials to where it has to, where it's going to be processed. And that math actually looks quite different um, 12 months ago to what it looks like today, because as I mentioned, lithium prices are six times higher. Right, right. I was going to say the the recycling process is cheaper, but at the same time, also the materials you're getting out are less valuable, right? I mean, it's just the lithium, basically. You're not, no one wants to iron, <laughs> I assume. So it's just lithium, basically, yeah. that's paying for. Mainly lithium and then the copper from the actual, uh, how do you say, the coils. So you're, you're right that you get less um, in terms of actual payment for whatever gets recycled. Um, but you're, you're also paying less because the process tends to be cheaper. I mean, is lithium ever going to go back down or is or is the sort of rising demand around the world basically going to mean lithium is on an upward trajectory? What's what do, what do we know about the future of lithium prices? Our metals mining team has it basically tracks the main battery metals and the markets related to that. Generally speaking, with any commodity market, it's really hard to expect prices to continuously go up nonstop because because of kind of laws of laws or um, however you want to call it around supply and demand. If you go right. up Economics. too high, yeah, exactly. The economics of it dictate that eventually, at at, at a certain price point, things make less sense from from a demand standpoint. And generally speaking, what's happening is that there's significant ramp up of lithium mines across different geographies, be that Australia, Argentina, Chile, and, and China as well. So actually, the supply is ramping up. Our expectation is not that prices will continue to go up. Um, the question is really about when prices start to ease, um, just because we've now been, as I mentioned, the period of about six or so months where prices for lithium have sustained at a high. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're going to be publishing some some work around our battery price survey, which, of course, if you're doing near-term or long-term forecasts for battery prices, the prices of, um, of metals or inputs like lithium, cobalt, nickel really matter. Um, so we'll be publishing some work around um, to show what is our outlook around that. What I can say is essentially it won't be sustained high. Um, the overall question is like how soon is soon? Right. Um, yeah. Maybe it's in a year, maybe it's in two years, but it's certainly not going to sustain for, for three or four years. Right. And I guess one of the things I wonder is, is it ever going to come down? Like if if LFP recycling is basically paid for by the lithium, if the lithium is what's is the valuable material in there that is paying for the operation. Is there any risk of lithium getting cheap enough that it's no longer worth it <laughs> to pull it out of these dead batteries? You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I just wonder, are, are the economics of recycling, are they on firm ground or is there some chance that, you know, it, it's going to require subsidy, basically? 
I think that there's a few elements regarding that question, which is, yes, uncertainty around lithium prices will matter in, in recycling economics. That's always been true for recyclers, but for lithium, that, that obviously matters. What we're seeing now is actually just an interest from both the kind of the lithium value chain as well as the general battery value chain to include more recycled materials into their batteries. Um, I'm not going to say regardless of price, but right. certainly in the interest of kind of going in a more sustainable pathway. And that's really true in markets like the U.S. and Europe, where there isn't necessarily a robust value chain around lithium or even cobalt refining or processing and the production of materials. And so in order for us to kind of depend less on China, for example, one way to do that is to actually take advantage of the materials that are already in, in batteries that are in the country, um, be that either from imports or manufactured within the country. So that's kind of the direction that the industry is moving towards, which is not to say that costs and economics don't matter. I think they do. Um, ultimately, as an industry, it has to move to a point where the scale is big enough and scale meaning both like of the actual process itself. So having economies of scale of the actual facility, but actually also the scale of, of the supply of you know, the batteries that are coming in so that you're utilizing that facility to its full capacity. So part of the point here is that demand regulations, you know, sort of insisting that more recycled elements be used in new batteries is a way of sustaining the economics of recycling. That's going to create some of the demand that will sustain yes, recycling demand. I agree with that point. And so um, one question is, and I meant to ask this when we were talking about the process, is when I envision a bunch of battery goop going into a big fire and then going into a bath. I guess it just all sounds kind of dirty. So I'm I'm wondering how clean is that current process of recycling? Does it create environmental harms of its own? I um now I regret comparing it with a spa where you're going to. <laughs> um, anyway, um, so there is there's definitely emissions related to like say if you're in the pyrometallurgic um, mm -hmm. kind of that process around heating and um, fumes that will be released. You can mitigate that by having like scrubbers in the gas furnaces to capture the unwanted stuff from going to into the atmosphere. The hydro process is a, a little less like emissions aggressive on the mm -hmm. kind of the atmosphere standpoint, but there's always like subproducts that come out of any chemical reactions. So at the moment, I haven't heard much about huge environmental impact on the hydro side. Um, I think the idea is generally like what we see from companies in the US and in Europe is really a push towards having very low emissions and low environmental impact around recycling. Because a lot of the, the autos, um, the OEMs really are interested in kind of moving that pathway towards, um, you know, reducing their emissions regarding their operations. So, so that is happening. Um, and generally, environmental regulations in the U.S. and in, in Europe are more stringent than what we see in China. Although that, I think that's, that might be changing as well as China tries to um, increase its presence in, in other markets. Like emissions will matter to, on batteries that are imported into Europe or into U.S. So the current process is, you know, if not completely benign, at least not like some other looming environmental disaster we have to worry about. 
you know, that's the sort of the the pyro and then hydro is the standard way. Is there any fancy different technology on the horizon? Like, what's the best state of the art way of recycling? lithium-ion batteries is it pretty standard or are there technological advances that we are seeing or can anticipate generally not really it's like innovation is hard to do when you're when you're trying to extract the same materials Um, Mm. there's only so many chemicals that you can use to do that i guess where we see more differentiation or companies trying to do something different is regarding like the end product of what they're actually producing after the recycling or as part of the recycling process. So we have, and and I know you mentioned this a little bit prior to the call, but um, just in terms of the closed loop concept, which is you want to have the batteries come in and then you also want the materials as close as they would be to the materials that actually go directly into batteries. So making cathode materials from from that process. Just to insert this, there's a difference between sort of just a raw mineral and a sort of cathode-ready mineral? Like there's some processing that goes on to sort of purify it and stuff like that. Are, are they doing that in the recycling process? Um, that's a great question. So in, in the past, a lot of the recycling had been primarily looking at um, breaking things down and extracting them in the form of, say, sulfates, mm-hmm. which can then, you know, cobalt sulfate, nickel sulfates, and those are kind of precursors that go into then the production of the cathodes potentially in another facility. So they might sell that to, you know, a cathode producer, and then the cathode producer will then specialize in the production of those materials, produce that material to the battery maker. Now what we're seeing, like companies like Redwood Materials and Recyclico, which is previously American manganese, they're trying to play into the market into not just breaking down, you know, the individual materials, but um, essentially trying to produce the actual cathode material for mm. for end use. Um, so, which is presumably much more valuable than the raw material. It is more valuable. It's more complex as well. Uh, it entails. Because as you can imagine, like every single battery has a different specification. Yeah. And with that specification, you need a very specific type of material. And that can look slightly different if you're doing a high power battery versus an energy. Right. Um, yeah. So it's not like, you know, yeah, I just want to make cathode materials. Um, there's a reason why that value chain is not robust in the U.S. Um, yeah. It's starting to happen now. But essentially, it's, it's complex. Like each battery maker and automaker has different specifications. So of a lithium-ion battery that goes in with, say, some copper, some lithium, some nickel, some manganese, how much of that material is recovered by the recycling process? Is it close to 100% or or 50% or I have no – like, is it close to complete recovery or where are we on that scale? Yeah, it definitely depends on the process and the company and maybe the geography that you're asking. Nickel and cobalt typically have very high recovery rates. Um, mm. And that's a really good question, by the way. It's like, because essentially, if you're trying to make economics work, recovery, the percentage recovery rates yeah. really matters. And yeah, nickel and cobalt typically have very high recovery rates. It can be as high as 95 plus percent. Is that because they're so valuable or is it because something physical, they're they're just easier to get? Um, Because they're valuable and so there is more of, you know, an interest to extract them. But definitely, you know, the maturity of how to extract them from a process standpoint is just further along compared to 
especially compared to lithium. So that's kind of the new, the piece that's getting a bit more of, of not just interest, but certainly being zoomed into mm-hmm. try to extract more or increase recovery rates. And that can really range. It can be like as low as 60%. And really a lot of the companies are saying they can achieve 90, 95% plus. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're still at very early stages in terms of the scale. And those companies are just, they can increase recovery rates by just tweaking the formula of their hydro bath. Is that what's going on to improve this? <laughs> I think that that's a good way to put it. So, um, and I, I mean, without being a chemist myself, yeah. I had to kind of go into, you know, the details of this with, with the team to get um, a good sense. So the, the actual um, chemicals that are thrown into this bath for the lithium extraction side would be something like sodium metabisulfate. Sounds mm-hmm. very fancy. Um, but there, there's an interesting um, factor, which is just that it's not as if you double the amount of, of this chemical that you're going to get double the amount right. of, of lithium. So there's a point at which it's not as efficient in extracting lithium. And, you know, if you want to increase the recovery rate, you, you might th- be throwing that bath again into a process where there is more lithium. So it is a matter of like how much of these expensive chemicals are you trying to throw in for how much you're, you're actually extracting out. Interesting. Yeah, well, we'll get out of my depth on chemistry real, real quick. So we'll just leave, we'll just leave it there. So I'm wondering, um, you know, you mentioned earlier that most recycling currently is in China. Uh, tell me a little bit about the U.S. industry. Like, is it how nascent is it? Are we talking about like one or two companies, one or two or three companies? Like, is there anything like a robust expansion happening yet in the U.S.? Yeah, so there's a scale-up happening, which is quite sizable. And I should have gotten some of the capacities to list it off here, but just to talk about some of the companies who are actually scaling up operations. Um, Ascend Elements, they're going to have a, a facility working with SK Echo Plant, investing $50 million to essentially do recycling there. Lifecycle, they have a hub, which is in Rochester, that's just commissions and ramping up capacity. Um, and essentially, they have a few partners, but one of them includes OTM Cells, which is the joint venture between GM and OG Energy Solution. They have some capacity numbers, I don't know off the top of my head, but essentially, that's ramping up quite a lot. And aside from that hub facility, they also have these additional facilities, which are essentially more logistical and shredding facilities that then process the materials to a point where that can be processed in that hub facility. And then we have, I mentioned Redwood Materials. They have a facility in Nevada, um, which is scaling up. And so a lot of companies that I would consider startups in terms of their operation compared to a lot of the large chemical companies that typically operate in the materials standpoint. Um, And in terms of capacity, most of them are just scaling up like larger facilities now. So we're like based on announcements Larger scale operations will start probably closer to 2024 to 2025 with a lot of the ramping up of the facilities happening between now and then. That's really soon. It's not that far. Is that ramp up mostly driven by economics or are there incentives in legislation? Are incentives needed or economics going to drive this, you know, to the point that it's going to take care of itself or do you feel like incentives are needed. And and while we're on the subject, are there incentives in the uh, Inflation Reduction Act or the Infrastructure Act? Actually, a lot of the companies in the value chain, including autos, 
even battery companies are investing in the companies or in facilities specifically to ramp up the recycling capacity. And that's generally justified also through the partnerships a lot of these companies have signed um, with either directly with the OEM or with battery company themselves. In terms of incentives, um, there's probably a couple of important bits um, in terms of how the U.S. is structured, which is there isn't a broad yet, I would say yet, but there isn't yet a broad regulation around what happens to EV batteries at an end of life and how to actually collect them, process them, and recycle them. Yeah, um, there's a lot of state regulation around lithium-ion batteries, but it really has to evolve into, you know, EV batteries are much bigger and much harder to handle. And that's something, I guess, that the, the Biden administration is trying to work on to figure out what is what does that roadmap and regulation, what that should look like. But aside from regulation of what has to happen or how it has to happen um, at end of life, as you mentioned, like the Inflation Reduction Act actually does have an interesting structure around recycled battery materials. And that's specifically around um, the EV credit. So in the EV credit, which awards an, an EV up to $7,500, half of which are, you can qualify if you meet a critical minerals requirement, and then the other one if you meet uh, a battery materials or battery requirement, um, both of which require kind of the materials or you know the actual product to be produced in North America. And then for critical minerals, also if it's in, in a country in which the U.S. has a free trade agreement. I, I highlight that specifically on the critical minerals part of it is that they actually outline recycled materials as part of that as well. Uh. So if you're thinking about it correctly, like if, imagine a battery, what's the highest cost of that battery? And you want to qualify for that critical minerals component. You need to have at least 50% of your minerals sourced from the U.S. or North America or a free trade agreement country, including recycled materials. Let me pause for a question about this, because my understanding is that at least, you know, taking a snapshot of the present, it's not really possible (laughs) to get all those materials from North America or friendly countries. The vast, vast, vast bulk of those materials are mined and processed, you know, overseas, uh, processing mostly in China. So I wonder if... You know, the EV supply chain is being sort of onboarded into the U.S., or at least that's the idea behind the legislation. And I wonder if, in some sense, it might be if, you know, the makers of EVs might think it's easier to get recycled materials than it is to get, you know, virgin materials from a friendly country. And that might sort of induce more recycling. Sort of the the recycling could be the biggest, you know, kind of producer of materials that qualify for these credits. I definitely think recycling will play a, an important role in meeting these requirements. And, you know, like Redwood Materials, they just signed an agreement with uh, with Panasonic to basically source them with high nickel cathode for their new plant in, in Kansas starting 2025. Mm. So I, I do think that that's one of the ways in which companies will try to meet that. Yeah, I think it's it's challenging. We're, we're moving into an environment where automakers now really have to disclose as well as source right. and all, that, all these materials and batteries in a way that they really haven't had to do before. And there's a lot of questions still yet to be answered. So, And I think that, that that's an important point, which is the way that this is actually explained through additional regulation, which is kind of the guidance that the Treasury is drafting now. 
that will really matter in how the automakers actually comply or decide their material strategy or their battery strategy. Um, but generally speaking, yeah, I think this is a challenge and certainly one that, uh, yeah, this makes me excited for recycling for sure. Yeah, I know. It just seems like a huge, people, I don't know, think of legislation being so um, hard fought and tentative and insufficient, et cetera, et cetera, these days that I, I'm not sure people are really appreciate what a big thing this <laughs> this EV credit thing is. They're basically saying like, starting from almost nothing, stand up a domestic supply chain of minerals and materials and uh, and all this stuff it's a it's like a shock treatment sort of uh legislation in a way that you don't see very often so these partnerships because one of the aspects of recycling that that i have wondered why i haven't heard more about it seems like one of the ways you could make recycling easier and expand faster is to design batteries to make them easier to recycle. And one of the things I've heard, you know, talking around about this is, is people complaining that like Tesla, for instance, is going the opposite (laughs) direction. Like their battery is getting more and more sort of physically integrated into the car itself, which, you know, gives you performance advantages, but at the same time makes it just a complete pain in the ass to get it out and recycle it. So is that part of what's involved in these partnerships? If the, the recycling company has a partnership with a battery manufacturer, are battery manufacturers thinking about this now, how to design differently or better so that recycling is easier? I think there's always that push and pull, like the, the push of like optimizing for best performance and, of course, optimizing the energy density of the batteries in the vehicle so that you can get more out of that. Um, and then the pull of around on the other end, which is at the end of the life, as you say, like, is this easy for me to unpackage and then right. recycle? And those pull in, di- it seems like those pull in different directions. Yeah, they, they can do. Um, I think that the generally speaking, automakers have, have been a lot more conscious about end of life, like if you compare it to five years ago. And so it has evolved to a point where it's not completely separate in terms of business and planning. And of course, automakers can see like, okay, so we're going to get all these batteries at end of life. There must be a value related to them and potentially they can sell them and scrap. Or of course, if they have a partnership, they can work that problem. And if they're playing their cards right, they want to reduce the cost of, of the actual process of recycling if they want that material to come back to them at a rate that's reasonable. So I don't think it's completely separate one from the other, but you're right that, you, you know, sometimes things will advance in a way that's not advantageous for for the end of life. It will be interesting to see that play out, to see if somebody can sort of crack the uh, easy to recycle without losing any you know performance benefits or, or something like that. It seems like an interesting area of research and testing. So what would you, if you were, uh, you know, queen for a day <laughs> what what sort of like regulations or policies would you like to pass to make recycling better to to goose the industry to grow it faster to do what's needed like what do you what do you think is needed if you were making policy queen for a day <laughs> that sounds very grand um yeah, I think there are great examples already of uh, of policies, I guess, in China. And then the EU is, you know, moving that direction. And then the U.S. is, you know, figuring out what to do. 
Um, but there are, there are a few really important elements of what can make this work better, which is obviously requiring recycling um, yeah. as a first step. <laughs> Obvious um, first somebody step. Has to, somebody has to be in charge of it and figuring out, you know, through regulation and legislation, who, who actually is in charge of that. And the model, say, in, the, in Europe and in China typically is, you know, who, whoever's the end seller of the battery, be that the company who's integrating them into EVs and then selling them, or if you're actually in second life applications, which we haven't talked too much about, but right. um, those companies would also be in charge of what happens to the end of life of batteries after they're done that second life. So that's number one. And isn't there a term for that, for making the producer responsible for disposal at the end of life? Because that's something you see talked about a lot, not just in cars and, and batteries, but across the materials chain, producer Something I feel like there was a, yeah. a a clever term for that, but maybe whatever. That's a brain fart. <laughs> it is a brain fart for me too, but there is a term for it. <laughs> but I've always thought that that was like to me that has always kind of struck me as kind of like the silver bullet here. Like if you make the people who make the batteries responsible for disposing of the batteries, they're going to be much more <laughs> incentivized to make batteries that are easy to recycle. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of like additional policy and regulation to help, you know, like if, if you require that, you should also help to, you know, create an infrastructure that makes that process easier. And so like things besides like requiring re recycling, you could implement like recovery rate requirements, which is, you know, what China did and what Europe is intending to do over the next couple of years, which is to say like, okay, and when you recycle, you need to have at least a 95 plus percent recovery rate for these elements. So that's, that's definitely something that's doable. <laughs> Again, so that's kind of like the whip in, in a certain situation. And then uh, something else like collection networks. So if you have a bunch of batteries that are spread out all over the country, um, you kind of need to figure out the logistics and will benefit yeah. from logistics that's, you know, shared between companies. So I think that that's another element that can be aided by regulation or definitely more transparency of what the network could look like and to share that. Individual cell traceability. So um, mm. Europe has definitely moved in that direction or is moving towards that direction through the battery passport. China has been doing this for, for a few years already. So that would mean like an individual battery has got like a, a sensor or a stamp or a VIN or yeah, how, do you, how do you trace an individual battery? So Yeah, it could be a QR code. It could be, um, you know, um, essentially something that can trace a battery to where it's produced um, and then give details about, you know, what went into the battery in terms of materials. And then over time also get additional data on how it's been performing and, um and what it looks like at the end of life. So can it be used for a second life application because it's fairly decent in terms of its um, of its performance. That sounds like it's going to produce a, a flood of information, a really interesting data. Absolutely. And that data, you know, it's super valuable, not just for recycling, but certainly for other applications or even extending the life of the first application. Right. Let's touch on that briefly. Just uh, we don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but how does second life figure into all this i mean it's just sort of like a stage between the first car and the recycler i guess does it affect the recycling business or or chain at all oh absolutely so and we mentioned actually lfp batteries before so 
Um, an LFP typically has longer life cycle, which means there can be more appropriate for a second life application. Right. And let me pause here because I, I don't want to assume that listeners know what we're talking about. Just second life just means like once you're out of the original car, like I think it's like 80% is sort of the benchmark. Like once you're at 80% of original capacity, you're considered like not not a good enough performer to be in a car, but you still got capacity. So you can stack those batteries and make them grid storage or use them for smaller machines, I guess. There's like a, a, a lot of different ways to use a battery that's already been through its first cycle, just for some background there for listeners. Yeah, that's a really great way to explain that. So I won't add anything to that. <laughs> <laughs> How does that affect recycling, though? Does, it, does using a battery up more so, uh, affect its value? So the way you described it before was perfect, which is it just kind of extends at the time in which that battery will end up in recycling. Ideally, it mm-hmm. goes to recycling. Um, and the way it Im- actually impacts the market is just, you know, whatever we assume around Second Life will impact the total supply of batteries for recycling, which is really why the performance of batteries really matter when you're trying to make, you know, the case of I need to build a recycling facility and you're trying to foresee how much demand there is in terms of, you know, battery supply. And generally the answer will be it kind of depends and data on that is, you know, live yeah. at the moment. Um, so quite challenging to forecast um, to a very you know strong degree, but eventually, eventually that in terms of demand should roll back into into the value chain. So um, Second Life is really interesting because it potentially provides lower cost batteries for a Second Life application. Mm-hmm. Um, although there are certain challenges that maybe is a whole other podcast, but there's, yes, there's I know, certain I challenges know. around that as well. I wrote a piece about it last oh, year. Yeah. It's it's really interesting. You talk to people about second life and you, you know, you meet some, it's just one of those subjects upon which you can find people who are extremely bullish and people who are extremely bearish and, you know, both certain of their positions. Uh, where do you just out of interest, like where are you on that spectrum? Do you think there's going to be a robust, because, you know, the challenges you refer to is just batteries have a coming out of their original vehicles where they're used. They're all going to have different capacities. Some of them are going to have slightly different chemistries. They're just going to so coordinating all those disparate batteries into a coherent application is challenging. And I've heard from some people who are just like, yeah, it's never going to be worth it. Do you have any prediction on that? Yeah, so we've we've done some analysis on it, and I'd love to read your, your article after this. Um, mm-hmm. So I so it's somewhere in the middle, but it, it will be very application dependent. So for certain applications, say for um, backup batteries for telecoms, which is where we saw quite a lot of batteries in China, like mm. that that kind of makes sense um, because you are talking about batteries that are you know we don't know the full degradation of it after second life, so. As we have more data on the battery operation and its, you know, its life and afterlife, I think that kind of is does make sense naturally that you know it'll be more economic for you to use them for second life application, and if things are repackaged easily and in a way that's not too costly, then actually there is a big pool of batteries that could be used for second life, but. You know, if you're developing a new energy storage project and you really have a bank trying to, you know, finance that project, mm-hmm. um, I think that it, it would be kind of there are specific applications where it would be challenging for you potentially to yeah. make a case around using used batteries for that. 
But, you know, there are certain segments and certain investor appetites that probably change it. EV charging is another one where, where we, I can see Second Life battery applications taking off. Yeah, yeah. Well, yet another super interesting and dynamic and uncertain area to watch in this general field. So are there obvious barriers? If you were, you know, in a catastrophizing mood, what could impede the growth of this industry now? What are the sort of barriers that it has to overcome? Are there choke points ahead that you see, or is it, are we on a smooth expansion path here? I think it's still related to the, the timing of the volumes. <laughs> right. That is a certain uncertainty that, um, you know, if you invest too early and then you have overcapacity, you're right. underutilized. So to make a business case. And then I think the other bit is around business models how to best um, strategize as a recycler as to where you locate certain parts of the recycling value chain in terms of the facilities. That will make a, a big difference because for you to work very closely with an automaker and then kind of optimize the actual transportation, that can actually reduce your costs by quite significantly. So I think that those two would be major elements to, mm -hmm. to kind of crinkle out of, of this challenge. We're... Getting close to time, so I had a couple of sort of uh, dreamy questions here at the end. <laughs> so, some dreamy, some dreamy speculative questions. So, the dream here is that eventually, in some uh, future time, we are going to reach a closed loop in this. In batteries, you know, I mean, I guess the bigger dream is that we <laughs> achieve a fully closed loop economy generally. But the the dream here is that eventually all new battery demand will be satisfied with recycled materials. In other words, you have something close to a closed loop and you no longer need to mine new materials. So a couple of questions about that dream. Obviously, that's never going to happen until sort of initial demand is saturated, right? Like you have to make new batteries as long as demand is rising and rising and rising. You won't have enough batteries coming in to satisfy that. So my first question is just, do we have any sense of where that <laughs> point is and how many EVs that is before you sort of saturated that initial demand and you can get something close to a closed loop? Like how far away is that? Uh, <laughs> Is that point of saturation, and is there any real way to know? The, the, any real way to know would be to live until that point. But um, in terms <laughs> right. of what that saturation point looks like, um, we do have actually, like at BNEF, um, projections on mm. you know EV uptake and energy storage uptake. Um, we released last week our new energy outlook, so I can tell you that we have some data to quantify how we've created those scenarios to tell you what those S-curves and the point at which it saturates in different markets look like. I can't tell you off the top of my head um, where, when exactly that is. Um, so I'll plug that one for kind of a future, um, a future answer. Uh, I'll, put a, I'll put a link in the show notes. <laughs> the, the one thing I will say, though, um, is just that the technology is also changing. And you, you kind of mentioned this as well in the context of, you know, there's more LFP batteries now. Mm -hmm. um, but also that, you know, the batteries of the 2030s might look different or will look yeah. different. Yeah, I meant to ask about solid state, like whether solid state is <laughs> recyclable. Is it, does it affect the recycling process? Uh, 
So it's definitely recyclable. Yeah, the lithium content is definitely higher in terms of concentration. Mm. So there's definitely, you know, pathways to recycle. And then you're talking about slightly different materials for for the actual electrolytes and for the separate. So, so yeah, there is a difference in terms of what that will look like from materials and recycling standpoint. But then it also means, you know, whatever point of the S-curve um, in terms of demands, what that looks like, it actually looks kind of different from a, a battery chemistry standpoint. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's an important point. And finally, on this on this closed loop question, could we pull that off with current technology or will or will recycling technology have to improve while, you know, while we're going through this period of saturating demand? I mean, presumably technology will improve. It tends to be what it does. But do we have the technology now or are we within, you know, striking distance of being able to close that loop to recycle to the extent that we no longer need new materials? So the technology does exist. I think the process and the way to optimize and maybe there there are, you know, different pathways to recycle that can be improved to make the closed loop like kind of better. <laughs> um, right. So so there is a pathway, but it, it, it will take time. Because even like scaling industrial operations, I think that that's tricky, right? Um, going from a pilot facility where you're doing, you know, 10,000 consumer electronic batteries compared to, say, scaling up hundreds of thousands of EV batteries. That's quite yeah. a different operation. So <laughs> It really is. I mean, are we going to have like just dozens of these factories in the or whatever facilities in the U.S.? Like I, or, or is this more of like a mega, a few mega factories or maybe you don't know i guess that has to do with the logistics of of collection and stuff yeah i don't know what the number is but there's definitely an optimal number um at the moment <laughs> knowing that you know there are dozens of companies scaling up there's at least dozens so um yeah we'll see what that looks like and then th- it, that probably also depends on which part of the recycling value chain so the first part which is collection and shredding there might be more of those compared to say just the the kind of the chemical recycling part of it Right. Well, this is super interesting and fascinating. This whole this whole area. I feel like we could, you know, have a pod on this like once a year, and there would be new, you know, like new things to <laughs> talk, talk about. It's so it's so uh, dynamic and uncertain. I, I find it fascinating for that reason. So, thank you so much for taking all this time and, and visiting with us. Well, thank you so much, Dave, for having me. It's been great to talk to you. And enjoy your uh, football. Thank you very much. I will. (laughs) I hope I will. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Volts podcast. It is ad-free, powered entirely by listeners like you. If you value conversations like this, please consider becoming a paid Volts subscriber at volts.wtf. Yes, that's volts.wtf so that I can continue doing this work. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.